Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So let's get to the message today. Let me ask you this question to get started. How many of you ever had this situation come up before? Maybe you're checking out at Quick Trip or somewhere and the cashier gives you back too much change. You ever had that happen before? It's like, oh, this is amazing, you know. Uh, God is blessing me or whatever. But it's a good question. You know, like, what what do you do in that kind of situation? And the the harsh reality, I think, is unfortunate, is that if you were to do the right thing and say, you know, you gave me too much, here's this back, the cashier's probably going to be shocked at your honesty. Right? They're going to be shocked that you didn't you know, take them advantage of them and do something that you know is wrong, that you shouldn't have done. And it seems like a little thing, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is sort of the little things that make up the lost art of integrity. So that's today's uh, classical, timeless virtue that we're going to discuss is integrity. Because unfortunately, I may be preaching to the choir a bit here today, but hopefully this will still apply to our lives. But I do think it is unfortunate that we live in a world where integrity is not expected. That when someone cheats somebody else, we just say, uh, yeah, it's pretty normal behavior, I guess. And, you know, it's too bad, but that's just how it is. And that's, you know, how we view our, our politics. You know, they're wheeling and dealing in back deal, backdoor rooms, and we don't know what's in the bill, but we're going to pass it. And we think, oh, that's just how politics are. It's how they should be. And I guess it's a too bad. Or, you know, even when a pastor has a moral failure, read about it in the paper or watch it on the news, a big-name guy had an affair and he's got to, you know, resign in disgrace. You're like, that's too bad, but, man, that happens like once a month. A new big-name guy just falls for one reason or another. Our culture expects a lack of integrity. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to recapture that lost art of integrity. And one other thing, too, you know, I feel bad for car salesmen, you know, because they have that used car salesman label attached to them. I will say the one benefit of that, though, is there's a whole new, uh, you know, industry built up with that called Carfax, right? Carfax came about because no one trusts car salesmen, and so I guess there's the one small benefit of that, of lack of integrity. It does build industry, I guess. Uh, But still, we're going to talk about the lost art of integrity today in our series, Lost Art. And so we're going to really answer four, ask and answer four questions about integrity. So we're going to look at what is it, why is it important, what is it worth, and what does that mean? So we're going to look at what is integrity, why is integrity important, what's your integrity worth, and what does all of that mean, what do I do with that information? That's where we're going to go today, all right? So let's talk about the, let's answer the first question and just define for a few minutes what integrity is. Integrity, as we're going to define it today, is simply when your behavior matches your beliefs. Integrity is when your behavior matches your beliefs. The word integrity actually comes from a Latin word, integer, which you may, if you're a math person, you may use that word a lot. Or if you're in math class, you know, an integer is simply a whole number. 
Not a half number, not a fraction, not a decimal, not part of a number. It's a whole number. So the wholeness of something, the integrity of something, if a building has integrity, you, you know, the foundation's firm, you, you don't, you're not going to fall through the floor. That's what it is. But our lives should look the same way. So our behavior should match our beliefs. That is integrity. The goal should be that our public life matches our private claims or our public life matches our personal claims. The public and the private should go together. We see this in Psalm 15. We'll start here. Quite a bit of scripture, especially in the middle part. We're going to zoom through a bunch of scriptures today. So if you're a note taker, this is your day, all right? (laughs) Psalm 15, verses 1 and 2 say this, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Here's the answer, verse 2. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. See, I think that last line there gets to this issue of integrity. They speak the truth from their heart. They don't speak the truth from their head. I know this is the right thing to do, so I'm going to do it, but I, I know in my heart this is the right thing to do, so I'm going to do it. I know, I, I, I don't just understand that this is the correct way to behave, but I believe that, and so from that belief outflows my actions. That's what we're looking at here with public and private matching. There's another word that is similar to integrity, but I want to show a quick difference to get to a real uh, solid definition of integrity, and that's this idea of reputation. Those can be the same, but they don't always have to be. And here's, here's how that's the case. Reputation is who others think you are, but your integrity is who you really are. So there, there can be a variation in that. There can be, you know, we, we diverge here a little bit. Now, again, the goal is that we build a reputation of integrity. Again, the, the goal, the ideal, the virtue that we're talking about, the point of that is that the private and public are the same. They're consistent. It's not that I'm saying these things in one area of life and I'm living a totally different way in another area of life. And that's sometimes what we, we do is we compartmentalize our life. We fragment it up. It's like a pie chart. Well, I have my work me over here. I have my home me over here. I have my when nobody else is watching ever in my life segment of my life over here. I've got my public in front of people in this sliver, okay? But again, we're talking about integral, integration, integrity. It's all the same. It's not split up into a pie chart. It's that no matter what situation I'm in, I'm the same. No matter what, uh, who I, what crowd I'm around, I'm the same. No matter what pressure I have to bend to a certain ideology or belief system, I'm going to believe what I believe, no matter the surroundings or the settings. That's what we're going for here is an integrated life, not one that's split up into so many sections and we have to sort of keep track of who we are based on where we are. That's the idea of integrity. And here's why that's very helpful. Proverbs Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. And maybe you've experienced this as an adult, but I think more so as children, okay? Maybe you've done this before where you do something that you know is wrong, and then you, you're so nervous after that. You're so stressed out. Is mom and dad, are, are they going to find out what I did? Is my brother or sister going to tell on me, you know? And we live with that stress and that uneasiness. That's what he's talking about in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. If you walk in integrity, you know which way to go. The path is laid before you. There's no options. It's, it's nice. It's smooth sailing for the most part. But when we have these different paths, and I did this, and so now I got to do that, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit too, but 
Or when you lie to someone or you, or you mislead someone, then you try to avoid them. You don't want to make eye contact with that person the next time you're in the same room with them because you, you might know that they know, you know what you said was not true and you don't want to have that confrontation. You keep thinking, am I going to get caught? So if we just do the right thing, if we just keep our word, if we just act honestly and consistently, we don't have a whole lot to worry about with this issue of integrity. And that's the challenge for all of us. Even people of faith can sometimes struggle with this area. That's why it's a virtue that we're trying to pursue. That's why we're going to visit, visit this for a little bit today. So we've been defining for a few minutes here what integrity is, but to really get a good grasp of what it is, let's talk about for a second what it is not. So when I'm, what I'm saying today, and what I'm not saying is this, okay? Integrity is not perfection. And I'll come back to that full circle near the end. But So uh, integrity is not perfection. Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not like a one-time thing I did 17 years ago, and now I've been perfect ever since. So when we're going through some of these things today, I don't want you to hear me say, you got to do this perfectly at all times or else, and you're never, you're never going to be able to mess up, or you're not really saved. You know, that's, not, that's not the discussion we're having today. This is a challenge. It is a call to live with integrity as much as we can, to live this integrated life. So all integrity is is the desire to pursue that kind of life. And, and, and an intense desire, uh, a real desire, not just lip service. So I know a, a Christian should do that. So when I'm around Christians, I'll do that. But when I'm not, boy, uh, the real me comes out. That's, that's what we're trying to avoid. We want this integrated life where the private and the public are the same. Again, we'll come back to that more uh, as we go, move along here. Another part of integrity that I'll mention now, and then we'll come back to in detail later, is this idea that when we do mess up in this area, when we do mislead someone intentionally, we lie to someone, we cheat on something, we withhold information or whatever, part of integrity is that we recognize that error, that sin, if you will, and try to make it right in every way that we can. Okay, so that, that's integrity too, which we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Now let's spend a few minutes here on the second question. Now that we've sort of defined, and we kind of have an understanding of what it is, but just for the purpose of our discussion to define what integrity is. The second thing we're going to look at is why it's important. Why integrity is important. And there's six reasons I'm going to list pretty, pretty quickly here. Um, but in the first two, we've already talked about the scriptures, but I want to point out the benefit of those with those scriptures in mind. So why integrity is important. Number one, it gives us more intimacy with God. That goes back to Psalm 15 that we started out with. You know, he says, who can dwell on God's sacred tent? Who can live on God's holy mountain? Those whose walk is blameless and whose walk is upright. So these ideas of God's tent and God's mountain are metaphors for intimacy with God, closeness with God. I can be closer to him when I live this life of integrity. I'm not splitting my life into compartments and I, I, he feels distant when I'm here because I live a different way or I behave a different way or I think different things or I'm inconsistent, but he can always be near and nearer as we live with integrity. God honors those who walk uprightly and he blesses those with integrity. So the first benefit of integrity is more intimacy with God. The second reason is back to Proverbs chapter 10. Integrity is important because it also gives us more peace. As we discussed, when we act inconsistently and we wrong someone or hurt someone or harm them and we try to figure out how I'm going to, you know, kind of fake this thing or how I'm going to get out of this, which is kind of the next one. But when we don't do that, it's just more peaceful to live that way. I don't have to always look over my shoulder. I don't have to, was there a camera in the room when I did that? 
you know? Who, who actually saw me do that? Who's going to do the math and figure out that I fudge the numbers here, you know, that sort of thing? So we have just automatically more peace when we live with integrity. We're not as worried. We're not as anxious about our life. So here's the, the next four will be, we'll have a verse for each one as well, but they're going to be new ones, so we'll spend a little bit more time on them. Integrity is important, number three, because it is a lifelong guide. Integrity is a lifelong guide. Proverbs 11, verse 3 says that. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. That's a cool word. I like that word. I mean, it's, it's a bad word in the context of integrity. It's just a cool word to read, you know. I'll read that again. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. It's similar to the last point, and I'll grant you that, but here's the thing. When you walk with integrity, it is a singular path. But as the proverb here says, when we lack integrity, it's a treacherous path. It's basically a minefield. I'm trying to avoid getting caught here, and I've got to step over there so they don't find out, and I've got to, I've got to cover my lie with a lie. And cover that one with an even better one. Maybe you've done that before. So here's the thing. A lack of integrity is just a lot of work, isn't it? So much work to cover your tracks and lie to people and make sure you got your story straight and make sure you've told the right things to the right people in the right context at the right time. And man, it's just... And then the problem is when we're found out and we live this way consistently, uh, if, if one were to do that, you just deal with constant criticism then your character is second-guessed for good reason. You're always trying to prove yourself to people because you, you've earned this reputation for not being very honest, so why should I believe you now? It's like, that's just a lot of trouble to deal with. But it's what we have to deal with if we don't live with integrity. We deal with a lot of mistrust. And what it says here, in the end, we are destroyed. Eventually, we step on a mine in the minefield, and it blows everything up. Eventually, we are found out. The truth does come out. We are exposed. Uh, we slip up. We forget how to process the right story at the right time to the right person, and our story just unravels like a mummy after Halloween, okay? And so we don't want to live that way. It's just too much work. So it seems to make more sense to let integrity be our guide. It seems to, to live this life of integrity seems to me the better way to live. The fourth reason that integrity is so important, as we see in scriptures, it's a personal defense. Integrity is a personal defense. This is 1 Peter 3.16. Peter writes, we want to keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So like I said earlier, reputation and integrity aren't necessarily the same thing, but our goal as followers of Jesus should be to build a reputation of integrity. And what that does automatically, it pays off. If you've built this reputation of integrity, then when you act in a different way that's apart from your normal character, people will see that, right? And there's a difference between they are a liar, right, building a reputation, and saying, you know what, that didn't seem very honest of them. That seems out of character for them. So a life of integrity builds in that defense for others. So when we do make mistakes and sin and slip up and we cut corners and we don't do things the right way, and don't have integrity in a certain situation, people are more often going to be like, I wonder if they're okay. It didn't seem like them. I wonder if I misinterpreted what they were saying or maybe, you know, whatever. We get a lot more benefit of the doubt as we build this reputation of integrity in our character. And I think that's a good thing. It's a built-in defense for our character. 
And the fifth reason that we have here this morning that integrity is important is that it builds trust. 2 Corinthians 8, 21, or 20 and 21, actually, Paul writing here, he writes, We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we're taking, pl- we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. So what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians 8 is they are, they've been gathering a large offering from all these churches as they travel to take back to the headquarters in Jerusalem, so, because there's a need in the city or in the church in Jerusalem. So they've been, he and his associates have been gathering these offerings as they travel to the churches around the area to take there. And so what he's doing in chapter 8, part of it anyway, is he's letting them know step by step how we're handling the money so you guys can see what's going on. He's like, it's not just for the benefit of us and God, because that's the main concern. It's so that you guys know that we're trustworthy. We're not pocketing, you know, a percentage for ourselves. We're not like the tax collectors that in Jesus' day, you know, where we're taking some and the church doesn't get what, you know. And so that's what Paul's doing here specifically. And I'll say along those lines, that's why I hear at first century, we try to be open and honest with our financial records, right? There's nothing to hide. As much as I would be nice, I don't have a separate account in the Caymans, all right, you know? I just don't. And, uh, and so we try to be transparent uh, with you about where we stand and what we do and how we spend money. Again, for the same reasons that Paul would say. First of all, it's not my money. It's not your money. It's God's money. And so I got, as much as you, know, you would be angry with me if you found out I had a, a secret bank account, right? God is going to have a bigger problem than even you're going to have with me about that. And that's a bigger deal to me, all right? Uh, but again, it is a, a transparency issue, you know, with, with you guys. I, I feel much better talking about giving and tithes and offerings when I know that it's going where it needs to go, and it's where it's supposed to be, and it's all accounted for. And so there is that transparency uh, with even integrity here. So I figured since I would throw that in there, since that's the, the context of what Paul's saying. But in a larger context, it's also true in our everyday lives that our integrity builds trust in other people. That when we do what we say we're going to do, we build that trust. It is like a bank account, that we're earning that trust with people. And so it is the same way. And I would say this, isn't it nice to do business with someone that you know you can trust? So, so nice. I don't have to worry. I don't have to work through anything. I just know if I'm doing this deal with them, it may not go great, but it's not going to be because of them, right? That's a nice thing. And isn't it also nice to be on the other end of that, to be trusted by people because you've built that trust through your life of integrity. It's nice to not have to always be second-guessed or questioned or, man, what is this interrogation all about all the time with everything? It's nice to have that built in, and that just comes through living a life of integrity. This trust is built and relationships grow in an environment of integrity. Here's the sixth thing that we'll talk about with the second question about why integrity is important, and that is that integrity builds a legacy. Integrity builds a legacy. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. So the integrity of one generation has an effect on following generations. And if you don't believe me, just look at our political system. To go, to an e- It's an easy target here, so I'm not doing anything, you know, super crazy, but just look at that, okay? So, Okay. When our country was founded, the men that founded it were not perfect people, but I think, they were, I think they were people of ideals. And they're structuring this thing to work as long as it can. So they're trying to make this system uh, to work in the proper way. So I think 
for the most part, in most cases, a lot of these people for the last, you know, first couple hundred years maybe of the country were people of, of honor and integrity. I think what we've seen, though, is an erosion of that where politics now has become a game that we play, not we, but that politicians play with one another. And it's not about necessarily in their heart doing what's best for the people that they represent and that pay their salary, and that weird, that works, uh, but that they're trying to outdo one another. It's a game. And so that, what does that do? That erodes trust in us, the people that voted them in. When Sometimes they're blatant about it. Like you watch their press conference and they're saying, yeah, we're doing this because that person is doing that. Or I'm going to vote this way because they're not going to vote this way. It happens all the time. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of sick of it. I'm just over that. And that's why I'm going to announce that I'm not going to run for office. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That, wouldn't that be a great pitch, though? That would be awesome. And it wouldn't be that hard. I'm like, everyone's sick of the same thing, so anyone could run for anything. Uh, because, we, you know, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely if you need any evidence of that, just look at our political class, and they'll show you that that is the case. I'm not trying to pick on them. They're an easy target again, but it's, it's true. What happens is over time, right, the integrity of one generation affects the next. And this doesn't just fix itself. So it's the same thing with your life and my life. When these, when these key uh, virtues break down, they don't just build, they don't just regenerate. It takes a lot of time and a lot of intentionality to rebuild if those, if those things are crumbled. If, if, the integ- if our integrity is crumbling, it's, we have to work to rebuild it, not for just our sake, but for the sake of the generations after us, because our children and grandchildren are watching us. So they're going to look at things like, do we keep our word? Do, are, are we the same at home as we are in public? Our kids are watching. They see that. Do we overpromise and underdeliver on a regular basis? They see that. It, it means something to them. Are we do as I say, not as I do kind of people? Our kids see that. And not only do they see that, but then they begin to emulate what they see. That's where this verse in Proverbs can be, can be a huge blessing or scary, right? Because they're going to do what they see. So if they see people of integrity, that doesn't guarantee anything. That's, I think that's where the proverb, uh, it's Proverbs um, 4, 23, I think. Anyway, as a matter of integrity, I don't know the exact quote off the top of my head, but Proverbs says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. You know, it's not a promise. It's a proverb, and that's what we're talking about today. As children see how you live your life, they will then see, hmm, that works. I should do that, or that doesn't work, but I'm going to do it anyway because that's all I know. Or it doesn't work, so I, I'm never going to be like my mom. I'm never going to be like my dad, right? There's a lot of stories like that. So we, what we want to do is try to avoid being the subject uh, uh, or the object, I guess, of that sentence. We want to live a life of integrity. And I, let, me, let me spin this in a, in a spiritual way. Now, it does matter how you live your life and what you do, that sort of thing. But spiritually speaking, here, here's the worst thing for a kid if you're a parent or a grandparent. The worst thing for a kid is for them to see a Sunday-only Christian. That's what we're talking about with integrity, right? It's the worst thing because kids can see if we're fake about our faith. They can smell a fake 10 miles away. They are very perceptive. And so they will see, man, they act like, why are you so nice at church for an hour and a half and then the rest of the week you're a demon, you know? Like, why, why is that? Kids pick up on that. Or why when you're around these people are, you know, you're pleasant and and whatever, but when, when the doors are, you know, closed at home and nobody's there, you're a totally different person. Kids see that, and then 
They will emulate what they see. So they know if we mean what we say, if we live out our faith, if it's genuine or real. And so we want our faith to impact our kids in a good way, in a positive way, by living it out and building this legacy of integrity. I went a bit long with that part, so forgive me for that. But So let's get to the third question. So we've seen what integrity is. We've seen why it's important. Now, third, let's look at, let me ask you this question. What is your integrity worth? What is your integrity worth? And you might say, well, what does that even mean? Well, let me just say it this way. When we lack integrity, what we do is we put a price tag on something that is priceless. Okay, that's what we do when we lack integrity. Let me give you just a few simple, small, little minor examples here. Someone who would lie on their resume to get a job. It's a small little thing. But what they've done is they've now put a price tag on their integrity. My integrity is worth an extra $15,000 for this different job over here. That's what they're saying. They wouldn't say it out loud. That's not what they're thinking, but that is what they are saying for their actions because I'm going to fib on my resume to get this better job that pays more. That's the price I'm willing to pay for my integrity. Someone who may be at their job would fudge numbers on an expense report. What they're, they're, val- they're devaluing their integrity even more because they're saying for a few bucks over here in this column instead of over here in this column for the sake of my company, I'm willing to give my integrity away. I'm willing to forfeit that for a few dollars, for a few things. That's what we do we, when we lack integrity. We put a price tag on a priceless thing. Even something as simple as exaggerating a story to impress someone. That's like really devalued because you, you just care about what they think about this one story that you're so macho because your fish was this big instead of this big, you know, to use kind of a, a, a small example, but you get what I'm saying. Or on the other hand, when we're telling something and it puts us in a negative light and we leave out key information in that story to make us look better, what we've done is I put a price tag on my integrity by not being fully honest about this account so that they will think better of me. So for this one person's opinion about this one instance, you're willing to give up all of your integrity for that. That's what we're saying. So let me ask, what's your integrity worth? So 20 years ago in 2001, the summer, or summer and early fall of 2001, there was a, a young man named Danny Almonte. Maybe you remember his story. So he was the prodigy pitcher in the Little League World Series in 2001 for the team from the Bronx. And he, uh, let me just give you some of the stats of of how amazing this kid was at pitching. So in the regional final to qualify for the Little League World Series, he pitched a no-hitter. He gave up, I think, one or two walks, but no hits in the game. Four days later, in a preliminary game in the final tournament, he pitched a perfect game. No hits, no walks. Every batter that went up went back to the dugout, not getting on base. And the team finally made it to the, the U.S. championship game. So how that works is there's a, an international bracket, and there's a winner, and then there's a United States bracket and a winner, and those two winners will meet in the final of the Little League World Series. So his team made it to the United States final, but he had already reached his pitch limit. He'd already pitched too many innings, so he couldn't pitch that championship game. And so the team actually lost before the final. They lost in basically the semifinal of this tournament. But the team was still celebrated, especially in the Bronx and New York City. I mean, they were superstars, and everybody was like, look at these kids, and especially look at this kid. So here's some of his final stats of his tournament run. So he pitched in three games in the Little League World Series. He faced 72 batters and struck out 62 of them. He only gave up three hits in three games in his Little League World Series career in 2001. There's only one problem. 
he was two years too old to qualify to pitch in the Little League World Series that year. So he had moved from the Dominican Republic the year before, and what his dad did in seeing his talent. Now, he had talent. We, no one can deny that. But his dad forged or changed the date of birth on his birth certificate when he moved uh, so he could qualify to play for this little league team in the Bronx where they were moving to. And there were teams, obviously, that would lose. They would see him in person up close, and coaches and players would say, there's something wrong about him. There's something not quite right here. And they would, you know, but of course, it sounds like sour grapes when you're the team that gets beat by this kid. You're like, stop picking on this 12-year-old. Well, he's not 12, he's 14, you know. Stop picking on the 14-year-old. Well, he shouldn't be here, that kind of thing, right? So that was the thing. Unfortunately, integrity cost this young man and his team because an investigation was done into this. They did discover his father forged the document. He was actually 14 and not 12, so he didn't qualify. He was too old to play. So the team had to forfeit all their wins and all their stats. We have the stats, but they don't count for anything in, in the grand scheme of things anymore. And what's really sad is now that's what this young man is known for. He's in his mid-30s, and that's all anyone knows about him, is that really it's really his dad, because also his dad kept him out of school that year, so he also wouldn't have another way of getting caught. Well, why is this 14-year-old in sixth grade? Or why is this 12-year-old in eighth grade? What's going on here? That sort of thing. And so it just layers and layers and layers to this lack of integrity. And it costs this, this kid, this young man now, um, really his, his life. Uh, now he is, you know, he's pitching at a high school where he, where he grew up and all that. So his life's not completely ruined. But that, again, that's what this guy is known for. Daniel Monte is known for being a cheater. His dad's known for being a cheater. And so it's like, what is your integrity worth? Is it worth a couple of games in a baseball tournament? Right? Is it worth an extra 10 grand at a different job because you, you know, say that you can do these things that you really can't to get this job that you didn't really earn? Is it worth that? Is it worth someone's reputation on one little account to make yourself look better or make your story seem grander so they're like, oh, you're so amazing, right? Is it worth that? And I would say it's not. We don't want to put a price tag on a priceless virtue, and that's what integrity is. So let's end with this. This last question as we close is, what does this mean? What does all of this mean? thing with integrity. And I would say, first of all, I'll answer this in two ways. First of all, it means everything. Integrity is everything. It's all we have. If it's really who we are, again, it's not just our reputation, but it's who we really are. It means everything. It really is priceless. But let me take a couple minutes here as we wrap it up to really answer the question in this way. What does this mean? And I'll go back to what I said at the top. I'm not talking about perfection here, okay? So what it sounds like I'm saying, possibly, to some in the room is, well, you're just saying to change my behavior. Just do better, just try harder, just live different, right? That's maybe what it sounds like I'm saying. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Let me show you what I mean. This is Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. The psalmist here writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So what this, what this whole talk about with integrity today is not about living better or doing better. It's about believing better. We're talking about change from the inside out. And by believing better, I mean to make sure that our beliefs are sincere. That we actually aren't fooling ourselves and saying, I believe this when really we don't. Or I value this and really we don't. Okay, so it's, it's a... 
It's not about doing better, it's about believing better. The point today is not, again, perfection, but it's more about self-awareness. The point today is not about outward adjustments, but it's about an inward inventory. Because again, the psalmist here says, search my heart, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me, and then lead me on the path. Only in the fourth line do we get the outward expression of that. Everything else is internal. Everything else is personal. Everything else is spiritual, mental, emotional, personal. And then we get to the, uh, the behavior once we get the beliefs settled. So we're not trying to change behavior. We're trying to search our hearts or have God search our hearts. And this is actually, I knew I had Proverbs 4.23. I have it written down here. Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart because everything else you do flows from it. That's integrity. That's what this verse in Psalm 139 is saying. God, search me. Investigate my life. Look at the little nooks and crannies and the little deep, dark corners and crevices, you know, that sort of thing. We're trying to give God permission to do that in our lives to be better people, to be people of better integrity. And when we say, God, search me, if we're honest, that's not always easy, is it? It's not always pleasant. Sometimes it's scary. What's God going to find when I really let him look into my life and take real inventory of me? What's he going to find there? And so how do we do that? How do we allow God to search us? There's a couple things to mention briefly here. I would say this, where we are most defensive, we should be on guard. So by that, I mean when we say, God, investigate me, but God, don't talk about that. Now leave that one alone. Oh, this area of life, no, no, it's fine. Yeah, I know that it's barred shut and there's, you know, gates of iron protecting this little part of my life. But so the, everything else but that, those are the areas in which we are most vulnerable. So those are the areas that we need to give God the most access to for our integrity's sake. How about this one? Areas that we don't want others to know about. This is a hard one, but we need to choose vulnerability instead. We need to reverse what we think we should do or what we want to do because... I just know it's the right thing. We want to choose honesty. And when it comes to this, you know, bacteria only grows in darkness, right? So if we, if we let God expose his light on our hearts and on our integrity, he will clean out those things that need to be cleaned out. He'll work on us as we try to let him do that. And then one other thing as well is also be careful that what we criticize in others the most, we're not guilty of ourselves. So what I would say is we want to be careful that we reflect so that we don't deflect. So deflecting is when I accuse someone of doing something, but I'm guilty of that thing. We don't want to do that. Uh, And so we want to instead ask, where am I susceptible? What areas are danger spots for me? Not looking at everybody else and their things, but I'm, again, reflecting so I don't deflect. What's what's my weakness or what are my weaknesses? What, What are the areas where God needs to come in and do his work? That's what it means for God to investigate to search us and see if there be any wicked way in us. And that's going to help, again, our beliefs to help to determine our uh, behavior a lot better. Integrity is so important. It's hard to build. It can be very easy to destroy. And then it's nearly impossible to rebuild. So the, the idea here is as we consistently, constantly ask God to search us, try me, test me, expose those things to me that I need to work on, that I need help with, that I need strength in, where I'm really weak and frail and vulnerable, God, you help me in those areas, strengthen me so that I can live out this integrity the way that you want me to live. And then one more thing as we close, I keep saying one more thing, but this is the last thing I promise. Also, part of integrity in this process is when God does expose those things, that we just come clean about it, right? 
when he exposes those things or when something else is exposed by somebody else that we just say, yeah, you know what, I, I was dishonest and I need to make that right and I apologize, will you forgive me? And what's scary is we don't know what that other side of that is going to look like. All we can do is do our part. So even in correcting a lack of integrity shows integrity. It's part of that process, it's part of that growth and maturation in our hearts and in our lives. So I want to, again, the world doesn't expect integrity So let's instead blow their minds as we live lives of integrity.